Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports, media, business, activation, disruption, all kinds of things. I'm Joe Favorito, back here towards the end of October 2023 with my co-host Tom Richardson. Tom, another rainy Friday. Yeah, it's two rainy Fridays in a row, Joe. How are you doing? Um, Another interesting week in the biz. I noted... I don't think you went to either of these events, but I noted that there was the Voices Under 30 event for SBJ on Thursday and then the 40 Vegas. Under 40 yeah. event yesterday. Yeah. Or today, I'm sorry, in, today. Yeah. And they're both in Las Vegas. Right. They're both in Las Vegas. Right. So, so when is the 50 over 50 that we will be attending? So ironically, Terry Lefton, I talked to on Tuesday as he was heading out there. He's like, you know, I am actually thought we should probably do that on Friday. Um, which should have been, but for happy hour Friday night after they finished the forties, right. so, go yeah, home. Or actually, right. it wouldn't even be happy hour. It would be like you know early bird special, I guess. <laughs> That's true. We'd want to we'd want to start eating at four forty five. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just to get it out of the way. But anyway, no, so you did, so you didn't go because I know you've been for those in the past. Yeah. yeah. So um, what kind of? I'm just out of curiosity, what kind of uh, attendance do those events get? So I, I think for the people who are getting the awards, they said that people show up, you know, if you, you, okay. know, you have your own way to Las Vegas and Terry had said that there really was not a lot of pushback on doing it in Las Vegas. This was always been, these events were always like small events in New York or 40 under 40 was always tied to the world Congress of sports. Um, they've moved it to the fall this year. I guess they're trying to figure out how to, you know, recarve other events that can bring in ancillary ancillary revenue and find a hotel partner at this time of year when, it's a little bit slow in Las Vegas. Obviously, if you go forward three weeks, you will not be able to find a hotel room when Formula One comes rolling down the pike. So, well, with everything going on in Vegas, in sports, it's going to be soon be the capital of the global sports business. The way the events and properties are moving. So, so do you Crazy realize, enough. Tom, with with the Las Vegas Aces defending their WNBA championship? Mm-hmm. I watched that. That was great. Great uh, fourth game, yeah. and. The Golden Knights, you know, having won the Stanley Cup, you look at the fact that there have been more championships in Las Vegas in the last two years than have been in New York in the past 14, which is zero. Right. So, anyway. Well, one, the Oakland, the Oakland A's relocating and we've yeah, got the yeah. F1 race coming up in a few yeah. weeks, which maybe we yeah. can talk about today since there's a yeah. little F1 relationship with our guest. Yeah. Um, yeah. So why don't we get into it? Yeah. Joe? So let's, let's do that. You know, and we've never really talked about – uh, you know, we've talked to to some brands, never really one kind of in the space that we're going to talk about today, especially how the activation in sports happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so Annalise Mezzalotti is our, our guest today. She's the head brand activation and sponsorships for UBS Americas. Covers a lot of things when you look at every everything from, you know, the name on the top of a building in, in Elmont, New York, where the Islanders play now, UBS Arena to so many other things that that UBS is involved with in sports and how all those pieces kind of come together and how, how they benefit the brand. So Annalise, welcome to The Cusp Show. Thank you. Nice to meet you here. Um, thank you for having me. Also, Super Bowl in Vegas is going to yes. be... All right, of course. I, thank you for reminding yeah. us. That's yeah. that little event on an yeah. annual basis. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, what a few months ahead. Um, yeah. Annalise, 
can we start with a, a little review of the port of your portfolio and you're in the sports business and I know you're in the art business as well. Yep. Um, you're doing some such interesting things with a limited number of properties from what we gather, but can you just let everybody know what you're focused on right now with UBS and, and your marketing? Yes. Yeah, so for me in the Americas region, um, our sports portfolio is um, focusing around um, uh, UBS Arena and then the anchor tenant, which is the New York Islanders. And then also we're a global partner with Mercedes. So we sponsor the Mercedes Formula One team, which actually when I started this role <clears throat> five years ago, it really F1 was not a bit, maybe maybe five to six years ago, F1 was not a big thing in the US at all. And anyone that I would speak to about mm. Formula One would say, oh, yeah, that, that's okay for Europe, that's okay for Asia, but absolutely no relevance in the US, no one's interested. And then just to see that grow, I mean, it's beyond ex exponential, the, the growth of interest and demand for Formula One, and then going obviously from one US-based race to now we're going to have three races in the US has been incredible to see. Uh, we also activate, I cover the Americas, so we also have... Um, activations in brazil and mexico city as well can we just double sure if you don't mind i'd love to double yeah. click on this f1 thing because mm -hmm. it's so timely vis-a-vis uh, -vis the vegas race in austin which is this weekend um so you guys have to deal with the mercedes team which of okay. course is one of the most successful teams in formula one with some notable uh drivers the legend lewis hamilton and and george russell Curious about how you're able to work that relationship in terms of the extension of the sponsorship activation through the drivers themselves. I always wonder that I see the logos on, I watch a lot of Formula One and I'm, I'm a big fan of Five to Survive, which is one way I learned about all this. Um, but you see all the logos, you see some of the activations happening in the media, but can you drill down on that particular one, how you're actually activating with them? And, and maybe yeah, use so, Las Vegas as an example of what, what you Oh, would yeah. Do. Okay. So, I mean, in terms of the drivers, that's interesting because generally we have a policy of not partnering with individuals. So mm -hmm. we're a large financial services firm. Risk, we're, we're very kind of risk averse. And um, so through that, we generally don't tend to align with individuals. Um, so through sponsorship of a team and partnership with a team, it gives us access to sports personalities and, you know, in our, uh, you know, to our advantage, the greatest F1 driver of all time. Um, and we are able to, to activate through that partnership. So if we look at um, Vegas and, for example, how a sponsorship might run, we would have um, potentially client activations with access to a driver. So we would have... Um, where we can, we try to do a large client event as part of the program where we would have the the principal, team principal, Toto Wolf, or, you know, someone from the engineering team, because obviously that insight is extremely um, interesting to clients just to see how a Formula team is run, Formula One team is run and, you know, the way that they manage their data and the the advances in engineering, it's, it's very interesting. Or just from the perspective of a driver, you know, that's great for our clients to have access to them. And I think 
the interest with Formula One is it's such a technical sport. So it's something where, I mean, you don't need to have that much knowledge to really appreciate the level of technology that goes in, the, you know, how it is actually a team sport. So you have these uh, drivers that sit at the front, but they've both got their own individual team of mechanics that sit behind them. So effectively it's a Mercedes team, but there is a whole set of engineers and mechanics that are dedicated towards Lewis and then a second set that are dedicated towards George. And they've all got their own sets of data on how the cars run. So, I mean, getting that look kind of behind the scenes is very interesting, just talking to the, the, the you know, the seniors that are involved in the sport. And then also actually on track, what, what we can do with clients on track. So we have, we try whenever possible to see whether we can get um, clients down into the garage. I mean, that is, you know, absolutely once in a lifetime experience um, to get get down and see what happens there. I mean, I've I've been I've had the privilege of being down there, and you know, you've got these all the mechanics, all the engineers, the people sat in the data room behind. You've got like the 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 incredible new tech, so they're sat under these huge lithium batteries, and it's just it really is quite mind blowing to see just kind of to mm. see what happens and see how the team runs. So we like to we like to obviously see whether we can get access um for, for selected clients for that as well we actually at some some races uh we've um had clients that have gone into the pre-team briefing so they have to sign an nda and they literally sit and hit, listen to race strategy which is pretty cool wow well, that'll be interesting on the gambling side tom how, how great would that be yeah this is making me want to be a ubs client show this, yeah <laughs> that's well, very it, good analyst thank you and it's funny tom just touched on something that i wanted to kind of expand upon like so there's plenty of places that a financial services firm can put their their name and associate with their clients. Um, can you able you able to walk us through like how you pick them and uh, and touch on the difference between what you just talked about with Formula One, which is a really inter, uh, intimate experience, versus a name a building rights deal, which is UBS Arena, let's say, and how that activation is different. So how do you pick them? Or how, how are they picked? Or evaluated. Yeah, that was, I was evaluated. wondering the same and then, thing. And then explain to us a little bit about the value and then how the execution comes for, for an arena deal like that with the assets. Yeah, so I would say it depends on our objectives. So if we take UBS Arena as an example, um, UBS has um, really high brand presence in Europe and Asia and less of a brand presence in the US. Hmm. So when I look at brand strategy for the US, it's what can we do that can kind of have real impact. So when you think about Formula One, there's a lot of logos. It's, you know, extremely it's an extremely competitive space. It's going to be very challenging for UBS to get cut through um, in that environment when mm -hmm. we need to you know we have this i have got a um, core objective of driving brand awareness whereas with an arena that's always on we've got branding that is ubiquitous and the important part of the arena is when i look at data so ubs um, primarily works with um, high net worth and ultra high net worth clients and new york is actually the global home for high net worth and ultra high net worth um, most of that 
um, client demographic has a residence within the York, New York area. So for us to have uh, a naming right deal, a flag in a you know a flagship deal within the New York area was very beneficial for us, just in terms of demographics, and that mm. you know there are a lot of our client audiences there. Another thing is that actually, since the financial crisis, um, we're not a U.S. bank, and we've had a lot of um, competitors. Uh, UBS made some strategic changes in business um, post the financial crisis, where we moved away from that traditional model of being a leading with an investment bank and having a kind of a smaller wealth management side. And we pivoted to have to be a kind of larger wealth manager with a consolidated investment bank. And as a result of that, there were actually persistent kind of rumors in the market that UBS was going to exit the US. So from a, mm. from that standpoint, for us to make a, you know, 20 year naming rights agreement and just really kind of put a flag in the sand and say, no, we are committed to the US, we're committed to to New York, like a 19,000 seat venue is probably a good way to do that. Hmm. Wow, that's yeah, that's a really interesting thought. Annalise, how important, related to that answer, is how important is the media component, component of the partner that you're choosing to work with? So well, let's take F1. It's been, you said that relationship was about six years old, did you say, or seven? It's ten years old. We we, we um okay. when Mercedes went back into Formula One, uh, UBS um, was a founding partner with that. Oh, place. interesting. Okay, so when when they as you as you noted, they didn't have a strong presence in the U.S. going back to that era, let's say a decade ago, and then over time, particularly in the last few years, it's become kind of a juggernaut in U.S. media, both in terms of the live presentations of the Grand Prix on. ESPN and also, of course, Drive to Survive. Do you, I guess you have to pay attention to all the moving pieces of their media strategy because that ultimately determines a lot of the exposure and the the impressions that I assume are factored in to these to, to all these deals. So so how important is media overall to all these discussions? Yeah, it's very important. So um I think Drive to Survive is been very interesting because we have a really prominent place on um, the team uniform. Right. So when anyone from Mercedes is interviewed, whether it be, you know, from, you know, from Toto Wolf, the team principal to any of the drivers, or you see anyone in the, the garages, they've all got uniform that's got a pretty prominent UBS logo. So that's been really really beneficial for us that's been great for us and then also we don't actually have uh we have in the we currently don't have any uh rights deals for u.s races but the for example the drive to survive series it always focuses really heavily on monaco and we have a lot of track branding in monaco the monaco grand prix we've had previously a lot of track branding in abu dhabi which is the last race of the season so for us to be strategic and um you know put our name out there where we know it's going to get the most eyes and drive to survive always has had a lot of coverage around those races and that's been um really helpful for us okay so to be clear those are separate deals the track deals yeah they're separate deals okay 
Mm. Yeah, and they're, they're separate deals, and they're some some of the, and it depends who own and, owns and operates the race. So there are some race, like the Miami race, isn't owned and operated by Formula One, and then there are other races where that Formula One own and operate. So it's you know they'll that Formula One will own and operate um, Las Vegas, but mm. Miami was was um, run by the Dolphins. Right. Right. Um, so it's funny, you mentioned two things, which I imagine when you got involved in this, you know, five or six years ago, didn't exist. So yeah. I'm sure you had the foresight to say, there's going to be this amazing show, reality show tied to Formula One that we're going to be able to take advantage of. That's why we want to buy in. Or, oh, yeah, by the way, the Islanders are going to build an arena that's going to be kind of the palace of New York. And that's where we want to slap our name on. So, so when you started, how has the business evolved? What surprised you the most over the last five years? And, and what are some of the things that are now extremely valuable that may not have even be, been thought of even five years ago with, with this evolving media business now? I mean, I think that one of the major parts for us is content and content development, mm-hmm. where um, we're, I mean, we're, we're, really we we've become sort of a mini media house really i've actually recently produced um three tv shows so with with a with an organization that looked uh, which was an athlete owned media channel um and we've worked with um multiple athletes through that so that was kind of an individual deal where we had one show that was almost like a shark tank type show where we had um athletes and their business managers invest in companies and you really that was very much around um looking at athletes in their kind of in the entire ecosystem that sits behind them and many many athletes are entrepreneurs so we've 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 done a lot of content we've also done a lot of content around legacy so athletes that have um focus on philanthropy activism um you know, kind of becoming community leaders. So we've worked, you know, we've interviewed people like Alison Felix, who is obviously very active in um, maternal rights and, you know, many other areas. And we've worked with um, athletes that are really, really trying to sort of change the status quo. So that that focus on content has been um, a really key thing for us that we can create really meaningful content and distribute it ourselves. So we're not reliant on a second on another partner for that. And actually some of the content we have produced has been picked up by kind of more traditional, um, like MSG has aired a lot of the content we've done mm. around the Islanders. So yeah, I think that that's a, that is a fast evolving demo, like um, area that we're focusing on. So, so tell me, tell us a little bit more about that. So it, it lives on UBS specific channels well, and Players TV, Players TV, right? Yeah, Players TV. That was yeah, yeah that was shows that sits on Players TV. So it's actually they've got their own channel channel on some Samsung. They've got streaming. They work with Roku. Um, yeah. Actually, they did a deal to have um, it played in airports. So that was that was really really broadly distributed. So there were many many kind of channels to air the Players TV content, and then. Um, UBS then hosts that on our own channels. So we have um, a dedicated athlete and entertainers site, which hosts a lot of our content with obviously athletes and entertainers. And then we 
also share that across social channels. So we've got really targeted um, lists that we, we we distribute all of our content to. So, so with amazing high-end people like that, it, it can be maybe a little bit of a distraction because they obviously bring their own audiences. But who, who the actual audience, is it more your clientele or is it general brand awareness to try and reach the, the much larger public who may become a client? A client? So it's both. So one on one side, it's to um, generate, it's just to make awareness around our expertise around specific areas. So we have um, at UBS athlete and entertainer accredited advisors. So mm. when you think about wealth management, for yep. example, they, we talk about fast, vast wealth for the athletes. So there's a very, athletes have got very specific financial management needs. Um, I think it's the average NFL career is five years. Um, so, so how, so, so there we've got a lot of research and a lot of advisors that are very experienced in this field that specifically, you know, can support athletes and work with their business managers to, to manage their finances. The same with entertainers, you know, that could be wealth that's kind of very sporadic. You could, I don't know, be an actor and get a show and then not have another show or a film for, for years. So there are very, very unique um, dynamics in play for, for, for kind of broad client groups. So in mm. that regard, some of the content is very targeted. Um, so there's been partnerships that, that we've done are very targeted. So A&E are currently doing a partnership with Billboard, extremely targeted audience. They have a series called Billboard Spotlight, which is actually for professionals within the entertainment field. And for Players TV, it's both. It's They're great shows. They're entertaining shows. Entertain, uh, you know, they're very entertaining. But it's important that we show how we support athletes. We really understand athletes. We, we, we offer expertise in that space. So it's a kind of, it's a double, it's a, dub, a double, double-edged thing. It's all really... Got it. Well, Annalise, it sounds like this that was fully intentional because I, I see that you were a, a founding sponsorship of Players TV, which is, I think, a couple of years old. So so this was part of your the master marketing plan of development in, in the market. Is that fair? Yeah, to that say? Was, we're actually no longer a partner, but at that's uh, with players, but but at the time for the strategy, we were launching a new client segment, which was the athlete and entertainers client segment. So we wanted to we just scanned the market to find how what partners could potentially be out there oh, that would nice. give us a foothold within that within that segment. So we can be very strategic in the way that we'll kind of operate. Um, and sometimes it's you know you have to be it's it's very tricky to get a foothold in that space. You know, mm. it's <laughs> there everyone that a lot of people are courting are courting athletes. So um, mm -hmm. how do we position UBS in a way that's really effective and also very authentic you know we have the, and we have this separate research model that sits off the side so we have the intelligence the the segment just released a report on nil you know they're real experts in the field so it's funny that's one thing i was going to ask is is nil something that you the that you would look at for a younger audience or a younger demo that's coming up or is it still not the target i mean it's still very obviously very fluid but right now um, for my for my world for my business in terms of sponsorships no but i mean obviously our athlete and entertainer segment are you know they've got research around it and they're fully 
they're fully engaged with that. It's an area that they want to be, you know, in the lead on. Got it. All right, it's I want to go too early for me. It's too early for me. And generally, I, you know, I would partner with established, you know, the established teams. And, and we're not, um, I'm working with teams, not individuals. And I think we're just waiting to see how that plays out. Personally, I'm waiting to see how it plays yeah. out. If you figure it out, let us know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want to get your thoughts on social media. Uh, so, so two part question. What do you feel the role is in social media for a brand like yours? Because we're looking at a a world of social media that is quite fraught at this moment in time. It's always changing. It's never easy for any brand or individual. Um, so the general thought about the, the market overall, and then kind of your approach, second part of the question is, your approach with each of the different assets or, or partnerships that you're involved with? Yeah, so I think the social media content we put out is generally, I mean, you get, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people can have a view on a lot of things, but we will cover themes like entrepreneur, like we'll work with um, athletes that have been an entrepreneur or athletes that have, for example, some of the Islanders content we work with, um, like it's called After the Island, so alumni that have gone on to be mm -hmm. broadcasters or, you know, entrepreneurial or the likes of Aaron Asham, who's um, First Nations Indigenous um, athlete who has continued to support his community. So with that, that sort of, and that's very much how we, you know, the, the lens that we take when we produce our content it's not really too fractious in that space. I mean, most people are very interested in that content and it's not going to kind of be too controversial. Right, right. So, I mean, we're, we, we, we generally want to push things around um, philanthropy, entrepreneurialism, community. So I think they're, they're comfortable and obviously um, legacy and kind of, financial management and we've done series around financial literacy so they're areas mm. where i think they're they're positive it's going to be hard for to get kind of embroiled in too much of a kind of social media debate over them i think we're just we're putting things out there which we um are of benefit and not controversial just a quick follow-up on that annalise do you do that in-house or do you do it through an agency if you're able to say yeah, so a mixture. So for our Islanders content, we actually work with the Islanders um, content team who are fantastic. So we get, we've got access to an NHL content team who are really, really world-class. Right. So we've, um, we're, very, we're very lucky in that regard. So all of the content we've put out around 43 Oak Foundation. So just to give a bit of background on them, when we entered into the relationship with the New York Islanders, very quickly became aware that hockey is the most expensive youth participation sport in the US. Therefore, it's not diverse. And we found an organisation called 43 Oak Foundation, whose uh, mission is to increase diversity and inclusion in the area of ice hockey. So they work with um, kids, well, sh student athletes that have got talent that are, you know, wanting to pursue the sport. And they um, fund them with ice time or, you know, tournament fees, equipment, transportation, anything they need. 
and we um, run a number of clinics and we also have mentoring sessions with those players. So we mentor them on um, interview skills and uh, we've actually done financial literacy with the families to work on navigating the college system, college loan system. So anyway, I just, I just wanted to put the bit in about 43 hours, but getting back to them, the Islanders team will produce all the content that we've had around the 43 Oak Foundation clinics. We've gone to the players' homes. We've gone into their lives. We've, you know, had these beautiful kind of almost docu-series type films with them where we've gone into their lives and understood what them pursuing the sport of hockey has meant to them, them and their families. And that's that's produced by the Islanders. So we were actually just at the arena yesterday and mm. we had um, we had a clinic. Uh, so they were playing on the actually on the NHL ice in the arena yesterday, which was, um, you know, incredible to be part of. Mm-hmm. Um, my last question, I, w- I want to pivot a little bit to to the other hat that you wear, which is in the entertainment and the art space. Mm-hmm. Um, when you identify places that you want to play in a place like Art Basel, um, mm-hmm. How, how does that come about? And is there a, a core message that, that translates from the sporting world to the entertainment world to the art world? Or are they done as almost separate businesses when you're looking at properties? No, absolutely not. So if we go back to the Super Bowl um, reference, we know the Super Bowl point that we had at the beginning of the um, podcast, Art Basel is actually the second... Um, highest event for private jets coming into anywhere in the in the in the US after the Super Bowl so it's again when I'm when we're looking at this ultra high net worth demographic that is absolutely the space that UBS wants to be in um so with it with art we actually have a very long heritage in art we've got one of the largest collections of contemporary art in the world we're a UBS is a leader in the space we have a UBS art collection. We've got a public exhibition in New York and really our collection is, we loan to museums across the world. Like it's really, really a spectacular collection. So we have that ownership, we also have art advisory and it's an area where our clients are very interested in. Our clients are collectors. And again, we we want to have a position in that space um, to help give a platform. So we've worked over the years on women in art this year, we have a partnership at uh, Art Basel, Miami Beach with Art Noir, which is a not-for-profit organisation that looks at um, diversity and inclusion within art. Um, so anyway, to go back to your point, art is really the same as sports, is passion. People are as, as passionate as, about art as they are about sport. I think that there are huge parallels between sports and culture and um I just really see the blend of, you know, the blend of everything together. Um, and we, uh, and I would also say for Art Basel, so we um, have been partners with Art Basel for over 30 years. And we were a founding partner of um, Art Basel in Miami, which is 21, 21 this, with this December. Wow. And um, how we have seen Art Basel play a role in Miami. So when, Art Basel established in Miami 21 years ago. Miami was not a cultural hub for the for the US. And over the you know the past 20 years, 
the number of galleries, museums, and it just really has become this huge cultural space. And, you know, Art Basel has been a huge contributor to that. So we're, we're pretty proud of that. Cool. Tom, they should, um, Annalise should look at your album cover series. Maybe maybe want to buy, <laughs> pick up how UBS can get into the yeah, album. Yeah, I have, I have some <laughs> album covers and maybe Art Basel would want to buy. Yeah. Um, my last question before we finish up with our uh, final segment, as we do with all guests, Annalise, is, about part of your agenda that was mentioned in the overview, which was about sustainable investing. Mm-hmm. I've seen and heard the phrase a lot the last few years. I'm not quite sure personally what it means. So maybe you can yeah. enlighten us and our audience on, on what that's about and explain it in the context of your work with UBS. Yeah, so there, I think there are two areas of it. And so we, we would generally also talk about impact investing now. Um, right. I'm not an expert. We have many, many experts in impact investing, but it's really to look at um, areas where um, the companies that are supported and the funds that are created are supporting um, in maybe environmentally sustainable um, companies or, or areas or products, and then also where there's that element of impact. So is there a philanthropic um, angle as well? So we have um our own foundation which is called the optimist foundation where we um have clients that invest in 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 funds that are are launched by them so we have for example a an oncology fund which Mm. is um which is launched which supports medical advances in the area of oncology so that would be you know one of the impact areas and then we also have um a number of funds that we would have which are um you know, like green ETFs or funds that have exclusions of certain companies or are either supporting certain companies that are driving, you know, the path forward in the area of sustainability. But honestly, there's about probably about a thousand experts within UBS. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not the best to talk of, but it's it's absolutely a focus for our, for our firm. It's where we, a lot of our clients are really interested in impact investing sustainability and it's important that we're you know we're part of that journey we're absolutely a leader in the field um we've we've pioneered in in many of um, the areas of impact investing so question off of that and i lied before when i said that was my last question but tom brought it up and it's a great point yeah so have you found a crossover where we're athletes now or teams or leagues or properties are looking more on on kind of that side, the sustainability side, um, yeah. global impact, where there's a crossover where where you can put together UBS with sports properties to talk about those topics? Absolutely. So we won't partner with anyone that doesn't support those objectives. Wow. So, um, so um, for example, with the arena, so OVG, Oakview Group, Mm-hmm. The um, the developers developers of that arena they are extremely focused on sustainability. UBS Arena has strong carbon neutral targets. We're we're going to be carbon neutral soon. You know they developed Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, the most uh, sustainable venue in the world. Um, so it was it's extremely important for us that we we're we're aligned with a with a partner like OVG and a developer like OVG, and it's something that we talk about all the time we're we're pushing we'll try and you know introduce our experts in sustainability and help push that forward i'm part of a sustainability committee with ovg that we work on and we have um 
um, object performance objectives, and also it's it's the full ESG, so uh, environmental, social, and governance. So we're looking at not just how the venue is run from like a carbon neutral point of view, um, and a you know a waste. We have like a lot of um, criteria around waste and trying to make it zero waste, but also how does it work with the community? So we have a lot of outreach with the local community. Um, there's plans have gone in around transportation for the arena. It was the first new um, Long Island Railroad train line, station and line for over 40 years to support that mass transit. So that's really critical. And then also with Mercedes, if we're going to use that example, um, Mercedes, we, we work with Mercedes. We had a, you know, our leaders in sustainability have meetings with leadership at, at uh, the Mercedes F1 team to see how we can um, help support them in their journey and how we can collaborate. And also from the other side, from the philanthropic side, um, obviously Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton are really trying to push forward um, diversity and inclusion agendas within the sport. So how can we kind of uh, support that process via the guidance that we give many um, clients, whether that would be setting up a foundation, um, how to run how to run a foundation, um, and we've been very involved in that regard. Cool. You know, you know what I've been thinking, listening to Annalise talk, how simple the sponsorship business was when you and I got going in sports in the uh, 90s yeah. when uh, you were involved with the NBA and I was at the NFL and NHL. Mm. Boy, I think back, because I worked under uh, in my job in publishing under the head of sponsorship for the NFL. And I think, and I was involved in a lot of those relationships. It was so much simpler back mm. then. There's so much to think about now and so much, um, there's so many moving parts as we discussed. There's new this. assets all the time, I think. So for yeah. example, NHL, digital dashboards, that 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 launched last year. Right. Um, yeah. And enough, everything, and, you know, platforms change, social media platforms change. It just it, it's just evolving. It's constantly evolving. And even when you look at sports, so who knew how Formula One could suddenly get gain traction so quickly within the US? I think what's going to happen with soccer. So because mm -hmm. of the everyone's access to media and really becoming this, you know, everything becoming so globalized. I think things that, you know, sports that may have taken 25 years to gain traction are suddenly, you know, they get wind and they're massive in five years, which right. you know, I think would have been unheard of. Right. And having and have a really smart strategy on how you're going to address each of these very uh, challenging areas seems yeah. to be essential now. Like there's no choice but to have big brains on on these uh, discussions because, yeah. as I said, it's not like it used to be. Um mm -hmm. So, um, Annalise, we ask each of our guests two uh, standard questions. The first one is, how do you stay smart? What are you reading? What are you listening to? How do, who are you following to, to keep up with everything you need to know for your job? The second is um, about career advice. We'd appreciate you offering some advice, particularly for the young people listening who are starting their careers in the business. So how do I stay smart? I mean, one thing is, I would say that I'm a marketer first, and I that that's kind of I base all of my projects and all of my discipline around that. So I actually refer to kind of back to a lot of the standard 
you know, the British uh, marketing league. So Mark Ritson, I think, is great. I really love everything that he comes out with. And I felt that I'd sat in the background for years and very much aligned with his view that when digital marketing came out, everyone just put all of their attention towards digital marketing and never looked at the full marketing mix. I actually had an example once when I was trying to run a full campaign and um, I kept saying, but we need out of home as part of this campaign. And uh, the, the agency just didn't want to include out of home. And when I pressed them on it, they said, well, it's because we can't track it. <laughs> so <laughs> it just is like mind blowing to me how, yeah, um, how pe- pe- you know, things have moved that way. So, and I think maybe we're moving back to a bit, mi- bit more of a holistic approach, but, and also one thing is I've tried to stay really, really close to my business. So um, I really try to stay very close to um, advisors that are in the field, to um, business leaders like within my organization. So I've got kind of an ear to the ground about what's happening within the business. So I'm not ever developing any plans in isolation. And I also work pretty close with um, external agencies. So from um, from a sports point of view, um, I work with um, CAA quite a lot. So I get mm-hmm. that real intelligence from them, which I just wouldn't have, you know, sat in an office working for a financial institution. Cool. And then uh, the second part of the question is the advice. What do you what do you tell not just young people, but people who are, are looking to make career changes when they come to you and say, what should I do? Do you have any thoughts? Um. So I think communication is is becoming absolutely critical. So I, I think if you look at your network and communication and relationship building, that could almost be a superpower now because mm. so many people don't do it. Um, and I think that I've certainly noticed as um, we've got interns coming through and we have um, a full graduate program, when I see the... The, the 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 kind of the individuals coming through those that are really making effort on the one-to-one networking and following up on any opportunity they get they're the ones that are, are going to have you know a lot of success and it's really great to not be so screen-based um, cool. all the time and also one other thing that I always say is careers are not linear and mm. um and I think that's really important. And then quite often careers can pivot. Um, you, we can have highs and lows and lulls. And in every time that's happened to me in my career, it's always been a stepping stone to something else. And I've always learned something that I would have never expected to. So there's always um, something that's going to contribute to what towards your career or your life through anything you do. Cool. Uh, Just part of the answer about the one-on-one networking. It's a reminder to all that this idea of using form letters, I mean, it still happens where people are sending out form emails about career Mm -hmm. stuff. And it's just, in my opinion, it's so off target of the way it should be done when it's so easy to customize things, even with a few simple changes of words (laughs) in an email or something like that. So, um, yeah. Touche, uh, Annalise, on the one on mention of the one on one. And I say to people, look, if it takes you 20 minutes to write a really good email to an important person or a contact, that's a good 20 minutes spent. Yep. 
for sure. Yeah, and then if you ever, and then also when when there's when you're face to face, just go up to someone in a room, just just you know introduce yourself, just share. A, I mean, I know it can be daunting, but it's really important. That it is mm-hmm. very very important, and I think that that's a skill that's kind of being lost slightly. So um, I would say if, if you could do that, that communication piece, it may well be a superpower for your future career. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to have a coffee mug made and I'm going to send one to Kenlyn Tyree who put this together that says communication is a superpower. I love that. Exactly. And Kenlyn's yeah. definitely got that as a superpower. Yeah. Well, cool. Joe too. Yeah. Hey, um, Annalise, can you, uh, for everyone who's listening, can you tell them where, if they want to find you or if they want to find more about everything that UBS is doing on the activation and sponsorship side in North America, where can they go? So more about me on LinkedIn. So that's just Annalise Messilati. Um, and then um, for anything we're doing, we've got um, sponsorship pages up on UBS.com. So just search for sponsorships there and you'll see everything we're doing in the Americas, but also globally where we've got a huge pa- platform of arts and sports um, sponsorships. Cool. What a great, what a great business to to be able to, look at those things. And I, Tom, honestly, I hadn't even thought about the, the sustainability side, but to know that's so essential to UBS, there's so many people that are talking about it, but we really need more doers and, and it's great. Right. And it's good that more corporations are doing this as a, as a corporate directive. I, I love it. Uh, Annalise, I forgot to ask when you were talking about F1 in Vegas in a few weeks, I assume you're going. Yes, I'm going. I'm so Tom's looking, for, like, Tom's looking for a pass. That's what uh, he was going to I mean, talk about, talk about what sounds like it's going to be one of the most crazy and interesting events of um, of, of this year. I uh, hope you enjoy it. It sounds like it's going to be an amazing weekend. I'm glad we're speaking before I go. Yeah. <laughs> because it <laughs> might take me right. a little bit. Well, if you want to come back for part two to talk about your uh, yeah. Uh, your excellent adventure in Las Vegas in November. We'd be happy to talk about you know, it. Doesn't what it, happens it, in Vegas stay in Vegas? Oh, well, that's, it, oh, well, that's it, a good point. Good point. Oh. It's it's funny. Like I was in Vegas um, three times in August, and I stayed at the Virgin, which is on right on the edge of where the the paddock is being built. And all I could imagine was, you know, some couple who had no idea what was going on. They booked this room years ago, and they show up in Vegas, and they're like, <laughs> "Why can't I drive down the strip? What is this thing that's going on right now?" Why Sounds are those cars good. going so fast? Yeah. Oh, so. that's great. Anyway. Yeah, it's really going to be something. It, yeah. it, re- it really is. Um, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, it's a night race as well, and it's actually going to be the coldest race they've ever they've ever run. So uh, that will be interesting just from a, from a tech point of view on the engine. So, yeah, I, I know the drivers and the teams are all super excited about getting there. They were excited about Miami. So uh, yeah. we'll see how they feel about Vegas. Yeah. yeah. And an opportunity to sell more merch, by the way, if they got to sell coats to people too. So how great is that? Oh, so, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. It's going to be cold. So, all right, Tom, uh, I guess I'll take the shot here and wrap us yeah. up so we can let yeah, everybody sure. go. Thanks. So once again, um, thanks to Annalise Mesolati, uh, the head of brand activation and sponsorships at UBS Americas for joining us. A special thanks also to Kenlyn Tyree at DKC who put this together, an established alum and someone who's been around our program for quite a while. Mike Shredder has been producing this. Once again, you've been listening to The Cusp Show. We learned a lot again today, Tom. I'm Joe Favorito for my co-host, Tom Richardson, and we will see you down the straightaway.